think it's time we slow it down. There was an old acquaintance of mine who laughed when I talked about being an introvert, which surprised me. They went on to say something like, who are you kidding? Which made me think, oh, maybe I'm not all that introverted after all. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Carl Jung helped us recognize those two poles of personality, but would probably object to the question. To the psychiatrist, it is more of a question of where along the spectrum you find yourself than being one or the other. In my own self-analysis, I realize my introverted self, the part that has rich internal dialogues but does not speak them out loud, the part that imagines and listens, is if not the dominant side of this equation, at least the side that I identify with most. The side of me that got on stage for plays, relished playing paintball before my knees gave out, the side that loves meeting new people and having conversations must have been off-duty when I was corresponding with my friend. It is an extrovert's world, you know. Charisma superseded character a long time ago. The loudest person in the room runs the meeting. Taking initiative most often wins. It is obvious, even if you are extremely extroverted and inclined to wonder what is wrong with all the quiet people. And just as there are introverted people, there is introverted music. Down-tempo, contemplative, less direct. Music that takes time to reveal itself. In a world where influencers rule, where subtlety is an endangered species, in an era of fame for fame's sake, music that softly calls us to lean in is going against the grain. You can make a slow song powerful, but ironically, the way you make it more powerful is playing it quieter. Yeah, it's intimacy. That was Zach Chance, preceded by Jonathan Clay of Jamestown Revival, talking about how they took a different approach to their new album, which includes the song you're hearing now, Slow It Down. The Texas duo brought in an outside producer for the first time as Robert Ellis joined them at Nile City Sound in Fort Worth to record their latest collection, Young Man, and helped place them into an all-acoustic setting, also a first. Jonathan and Zach's harmonies have always been one of their greatest strengths, but here they shine even brighter as they take on existential themes of finding their identity as they approach middle age, lending a restless edge to this understated approach. We talk about this and much more including Jonathan's narrow escape from a charging steer which left him with a dislocated shoulder miles away from the nearest doctor, their love for fellow Texas songwriters like Guy Clark and Willie Nelson, and we feature a number of songs from their fourth album, Young Man. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories with our episode on Jamestown Revival.
Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. There is a pretty rich tradition of musicians who were also real cowboys. Artists like Gene Autry and Chris Ledoux were well acquainted with the rodeo, and Ledoux was even a world champion in 1976. Plenty of others either grew up on a ranch or had lots of experience with horses and cattle. Caitlin Tossig, George Strait, Corb Lund, and Jenna Paulette are all in that category, while Charlie Crockett at least knows a lot about riding and running horses in the desert. Add to this list Jonathan Clay. When I spoke with Jamestown Revival in March of 2022, I had no idea just how big ranching was for Jonathan. The subject came up immediately when I started the conversation by asking what a typical day was like for the two of them. In addition to the unsurprising news that they were shipping out a lot of their albums, Jonathan had also just gotten back from rehab that morning. Yeah, I had major shoulder repair done on my left shoulder. So I'm, I'm just now starting to feel human again, which is nice. Wow, tell us about that. How did that happen? Aren't you supposed to be in the middle of a tour? Well, we were supposed to be, yeah. Uh, I was uh, I was at our, our ranch, you know, the, the place we sing about often from, you know, Heavy Heart to Round Prairie Road to Slow It Down. Uh, and I was out there with my brother, and we were way back in the back of the property. It's like, you know, 1,300 acres. And uh, there was a steer that had been showing signs of aggression, Um a steer, you know, a castrated bull. And he decided he didn't want us back there. And he, he came at us with some serious intent. We got charged, jumped over the fence and it was barbed wire. It was a really tall barbed wire fence and it hooked my jeans and flipped me over. And I put my arm down to, uh, to break my fall, which is, you know, not the best way to break a fall, but when your leg is hung, it's kind of not a lot of options there. And I paid the price. And so it, Basically popped my arm out of the back of my socket, ripped a couple tendons, chipped the top of my humerus, like a hill sax fracture, and, uh, and then tore my labrum like all the way around to my back. And the craziest part was, is I was sitting there and my arm was dangling about three inches lower than it should have been. And my shoulder felt completely hollow. And uh, my brother-in-law was like, uh, he's like, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not. I'm definitely not okay. And we called... Zach's sister's husband, who is... Brother-in-law squared. Yeah, so we used both brother-in-laws. It's Zach's brother-in-law. He's an ER doctor, and we called him on FaceTime, and his name's Ryan. I was like, Ryan, I'm in a bad situation. I'm about, you know, a mile from nowhere in the back of the woods, and my shoulders are out of... My arm's out of socket. I can't move. I'm in the craziest pain I've ever experienced. And he walked over FaceTime, my brother-in-law, through the process of popping my arm back in the socket. And I would not wish that upon my worst enemy. It was excruciating. But to my brother-in-law, Tim's credit, he followed directions 
wonderfully. And it was, it was like an expert reset of an arm. Like it, it was, it was really good. And we, uh, we made our way back to, back to camp and, uh, I didn't even go to the ER. I just went and saw a surgeon when I got back to Austin. And so he, he was like, yeah, you've, you've done some pretty severe damage to your socket. And so went on tour for a month with the damaged arm because we were supposed to leave like the next week. And he said, you know, we'll be fine to operate when you get back. There won't be enough scar tissue formed by that point or any for that matter yet uh, to do any damage. And I'll be able to take the pieces and just put them back together. And so I guess the trick is you don't want it to heal all shattered like that. You want to be able to take those pieces and put them back in their position in terms of labrum repair. So that's been my life. And so we had to cancel the middle section of the tour. And now, unfortunately, this final leg of the tour, we've had to cancel the first week. We were supposed to leave uh, today, actually. Today was going to be our first show. And I still can't sleep. Um, it's still, I'm still in rough shape, but I think another week I'll be at the point where I think I can physically sleep on a bus and get back out there. And I'm getting, I'm gaining mobility in my arm daily. So I'm, I'm really starting to improve, which is encouraging. There goes half the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. I really took us down a, a path here. Apparently I need to learn how to Yeah. That's going to be part of the show the now. Back. We're going to re- reenact the fence jump every night. Oh, Lord, please, no. Well, let's talk about your new record. There are a lot of things going on with Young Man. I mean, it's a different record for you. It's a quieter record, no electric guitars. You've got an outside producer for the first time. How much of this was conscious? How much of it just happened? Oh, man. Um, you know, we had a lot of time to kind of write these songs with the everything going on the past two years. And um, we even went and recorded some stuff um, out, out at this, this same uh, bit of land that John was just discussing. And it, it you know, with the intention of it being the record and, and it, we, we weren't happy with how it came out and um, it ended up sort of being like a pre-production almost. And so we were, we had got wind that Robert was uh, working at Nile City Sound with Josh Block. And so we reached out to Robert Ellis and, and uh, asked if he'd be interested in, in recording with us. And he was he was all in. And so he came down to Austin and, and we started running through the songs and, and, uh, and really came up with a game plan and, 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 uh, you know, formulated an idea of how we wanted to go record this record. Can you talk about working with Robert Ellis? I've been a fan of his for a long time. What was his role? So Robert served as producer, uh, and then he also played, uh, acoustic guitar. So he was playing more, played a lot of open tunings. Um, you'll hear kind of two acoustics going, um, one kind of chugging, you know, uh, the main uh, chord structures, and then Robert's, you know, play, dancing around with these crazy open tunings. I don't know how he works that stuff out, um, but he does somehow. He's a guitar scientist. And he, uh, so he was in the tracking room playing and producing simultaneously. So it was fun. It was fun to all be together. Uh, and then Josh, you know, Josh was giving us feedback from the control room. Um, but, you know, no electric guitar, you know, to answer your question, that was kind of a decision. Uh, I think Robert suggested it. Uh, he came down to Austin to do some pre-production. We also happened to do a little writing. Um, we wrote Young Man Looking, or Old Man Looking Back. 
Um, and then he, he just suggested, he threw it out there that, you know, we should do this album with no electric guitar. And we concurred and uh, committed to that rule, as we called it. We'd never really set any rules for making a record, and that was another one of his suggestions. You know, he, he threw out the idea of giving ourselves some rules, some limitations to help really define what this record was going to be. And I think it definitely did that. You know, it's, it's acoustic. It, ha it, it really, you know, makes a lot of space for the vocals, but at the same time, it's very intricate. There's a lot going on. There's a, a lot of parts all working together uh, that, you know, there's a lot of movement happening, but a lot of it is really subtle. So it was, uh, it was really cool being able to also give the reins to somebody as a producer. It alleviated a lot of that pressure from Zach and myself, so we could just focus on, you know, singing and playing and 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 really look to other people for feedback and so it allowed us to really commit to a performance and play you know we typically played every song four to five times before we felt like we got one that we were happy with so we'd play it we'd go back and listen to it and we're like we gave it away too early like we gave it away on the first course we needed to hold more back and so just being honest with ourselves there i think you know you can make a slow song powerful, but ironically, the way you make it more powerful is playing it quieter. Yeah, it's intimacy. Coyote, the song that leads off Young Man by Jamestown Revival, one of the quietest and most intimate songs of the collection. It sets the tone for the album, sonically and thematically. There is a persistent melancholy throughout its ten songs, and I asked them where they were emotionally when making the record. We had so much time at home and so much time to think on these things and sort of live with it and reflect. I think, I think <clears throat> the pandemic for me was a lot of reflection and I'm sure it was for John too. Um, so that really played into these songs. I, I, it wasn't a, wasn't necessarily a choice that we made. I I will say, with these songs more than any other album, I, I don't know if it's where we are in our life or what, but there's a lot. There are a lot of songs on this album that when we play live. And I look around and our band is just, everybody up on stage is putting everything they've got into it. And I'm listening to the words and I see the crowd accepting it and loving it. 
I, I sometimes have to fight back tears on stage. I, I, I feel completely overwhelmed, especially on songs like Old Man Looking Back, because it's like I believe every single word we wrote and every single word really means something. And I feel that way about a lot of the songs on this album. And I know it sounds like cliche to be like, oh, I'm so into the song. I'm like brought to tears, but it really is. Sometimes I'm like, keep it together, you know? Because I just, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a heavy, it's a heavy thing to believe with every single fiber of your being. Just a young man wearing an old man's shoes. As time goes by and people change, I'll be gone and you'll remain. Yeah, it makes me think of my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we could. We certainly couldn't do this style of record or these songs for every time. But I, I'm really proud. Um, I think, you know, ten years from now, it it'll it'll capture such a a play as most albums do. It's just like such a place in our lives of sort of in between. Yeah, it just I, you reach a certain age and and realize um, there's a there's a when you're a lot younger than pro- we are now, um, it's all ahead of you, you know. And then you start to reach to this point where it still feels like there's quite a bit ahead of you, but you've got a, you've got so much to look back on and like really have some perspective and and appreciate, you know, where where life has taken us. And this record really feels like that. Harmonies are always one of your strengths, but they're even more emphasized, like you've pointed out to already in this setting. So tell us about how you go about harmonizing, and when did you find out that you were great singing together? Pretty early on, we 15 or so, we started writing songs together. I, I think there was a, there was a day, uh, my family moved to Magnolia, Texas, from West Texas when we were 14, going on 15, John and I became friends somewhere along the way and and um and then you know over at his house one day he picked up a guitar and starts kind of 
playing a song that we were listening to. I'm like, oh man, that's cool. You can, you can sing. I, th- I think I can sing too. And it just grew out of that. And then, man, just we've spent so much time together. There's like a shared cadence that we have that I think really helps in harmonizing and then just learning to listen to each other. I think, uh, you know, harmonizing, especially going back to the slow song thing, it gives us more tools in our, in our work box. We kind of have three modes that we sing in. One of which is, you know, I will sing under the melody and Zach will sing melody. And then another mode is I sing melody and Zach sings above the melody. And then every now and then Zach, um, um, I will, I will sing above the melody and Zach will sing. I don't sing above the melody much because my voice is lower, but it just gives us sort of three voices because when I'm singing a high harmony, it's a very different texture and it's a very different vibe than um, when Zach is singing a high harmony. And sometimes we'll switch like working on love in the last section of working on love. I switched to a high harmony. Um, whereas before, you know, probably our, where we live typically is um, I'm singing below Zach. So then we can use that to switch it and create impact there. And it's like, sometimes people don't even really know what's going on because a lot of times they have a hard time differentiating between our voices, but it just makes, it peaks the listener's ear a little bit and they're like, what is that? I have a hard time telling sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's when it's good is when it, it's kind of like uh, as a drummer, when you bury the click and, um, you know, you're on a click and you're feeling it and you're grooving so hard that you can't hear the click anymore because it's because it feels it, you just bury it. Well, I think as a harmony singer, sometimes you can bury your voice and you hear overtones more than you hear your own singular voice in your head. And that's when it gets good. I'm thinking about Texas. Which Texas artists or band do you most identify with? Mm. That's tough. Uh, I would say, I don't know. I've always felt a connection to Guy Clark's music a lot. Yeah. He he just, that guy was uh, just, oh, man. I can't, even his songs that aren't sad, I listen to him and I cry. I'm like, it's so good. It's so good. It's like poetry. It's amazing. Um, yeah. And it's not, with him, it's rarely the melody so much as it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's just the way he says it. Yeah. I, this one's probably pretty obvious for me, but man, Willie Nelson, that guy, just tasty. Zach, I mean, I think you got a little ZZ Top in your spirit. Too. I do have. My dad was a big ZZ Top fan, so like especially the the Lagrange era. Um, so I, I got some ZZ Top in my blood for sure. <laughs> you got a little yeah. like nineteen eighties, you know, top down. Uh, there's there's a strong eighties streak of just all all that music, but yeah, my. My dad listened to a lot of music, and then my mom was a singer, so she was always singing. It just, you know, morning from sunrise to sundown, there's a tune being sung. 
Is there any formula or a method that you use as a band for making a living? Like what goes into it? What are all the things that you're doing to keep your head above water? The formula is there's a lot you can't control. And uh, for us, I think it's kind of like uh, keep, keep an open mind because you don't know what kind of opportunities are going to come your way that could end up being really cool. And try to judge things through tomorrow's paradigm rather than today's because this industry is so ever-changing and quickly evolving. It's hard to, you know, I don't know, trying to see one step ahead and trying to stay true to your roots and your heritage and what you started making music for, but then also trying to see around corners and trying to stay relevant mostly as it relates to technology, you know? Like, I was really slow to come around to Spotify. And just, I thought it was just devaluing music. And I'm like, no, we've got to sell music. But now, I don't know if I still feel that same way because I've had so many people come out and buy tickets to shows and become lifelong fans who are like, Spotify randomly played your music. And so I'm like, okay, what is the net positive? Um, yeah. Uh, making money by selling music is a revenue source that's dried up. But are we overall better off as musicians? Do we have more fans as musicians? Uh, fans who can support us in other ways. So I just think it's kind of like, it's being open-minded and trying to, to look into the future rather than to the past because like it or not, music is becoming a technology business. Not to, not to put on a suit, but that's just the truth. Yeah, just loosen up your tie a little bit, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of things. You know, like you say, Spotify is well-established, Patreon, fan funding. I'm seeing a lot of new things, you know, like artists doing NFTs and whatnot. You know, artists are fine. I think, I think gain more and more respect as entrepreneurs because that's what being a musician is. And it always has been to some extent. I just think the shape has changed. And now, you know, there's like really cool services and things to help artists be entrepreneurs and to help them make art full time rather than when they're not waiting tables or working a job that's taking them away from music. So I think it's, a, I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be a musician and to be making music. I think, you know, there's certainly, uh, if, if you can reach a certain point, um, you know, uh, things can look pretty good, but at starting out and being a, you know, an independent band, there's a lot, there's a lot of people doing it now. There's more access to recording equipment and outlets, which is exciting. But I think you, you just gotta be, uh, you gotta hustle, you know, and I, it's fun to see how different people are carving out, not just music, but yeah, little, pockets of other ventures that they're exploring so it's um yeah i, I like the point that you made john like the, the entrepreneurship of um some of these you know independent artists well used to it was like yeah used to it's like oh you have a manager and you just uh you divest yourself of any of the business aspect of music and you just let somebody else make all those decisions and you just make music 
and it's like there aren't enough managers for musicians uh, or creators, you know, as they're often referred to it today. And I feel like it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like you know that on National Geographic when uh, the rainy season comes and you have all this earth and it's all bone dry and it's like the first time water flows through all the earth and it just starts filling every crevice and nook and cranny. I almost feel like that is um, it's analogous to creativity and watching people use all these platforms to build careers. It's like the creativity is just exploding in all these little ways that, you know, yeah, maybe they're a tributary off of the main bloodline of the river, but it's like, it's a, they're, they're legitimate. They're building legitimate businesses and careers. And I think that's a cool thing. I think creativity uh, in some ways is going to be the currency of the future, especially with, you know, so many things becoming automated, like robots can do a lot, but I think one of the the last holdouts will be, you know, can a robot write a song that really makes you cry? The face I saw was a younger man, did him all show of his ways. Blissful food didn't understand. Hadn't seen enough in his days Ten years time and a wiser mind Sees his world's change But knowing somehow what I didn't know then Would I still done it the same to me? Wrapping up our episode with the title track to Young Man by Jamestown Revival, who will be getting back on the road following Jonathan's shoulder rehab late in April at Bear Shadow Festival in Western North Carolina. Producer Robert Ellis will also be there giving a guitar clinic. You can see all their upcoming shows on their website, jamestownrevival.com. And if they play your town and it has a tiki culture hangout, Jonathan and Clay will probably find it, as they're really into that. I found out a lot from talking with Jamestown Revival and even got some great leads on music I need to search out, like the trio called The Sweet Enoughs and Bill Fay. They are also big fans of Kevin Morby, whom I'm familiar with, but it is always good to get a reminder to go back and listen to some more of his music. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and I hope you will tell someone you know about us. Please follow us on your podcast platform of choice, and then take a minute to give it a good rating and a review. Top ratings and reviews especially will make Southern Songs and Stories and the Artist Hit Profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. The series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where Joshua Ming wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. I walked back down the river and rolled, gathered up a couple good stones. Now 
down to the water when looking for love wasn't very far from home.